Good afternoon and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I'm joined by a very special guest from the Oklahoman. He goes by a variety of titles. He wears many hats at the Oklahoman. Barry Trammell. Barry, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday afternoon? I'm doing good, Michael. Doing good. Coming off this uh, incredible Thunder road trip. Everybody that's got a stake in the Thunder ought to be doing good. Mm-hmm. Well, they're six and two over the in twenty twenty three start of the calendar new year. They're three and zero on the road in their most recent stretch that you just talked about. But I just wanted to get your opinion on where the team is going and how they've been because currently they sit at twenty one and twenty three. The last time that you and I talked on the podcast, it was December third. The Thunder was ten and thirteen, so pretty good turnaround. They're still not at five hundred yet, but they've been playing some really good basketball lately. Well, they have, and you know. One thing to a few things to really like about the team, other than just the record, is um, they are fifth in the West in point differential, which is like the holy grail to to Thunder uh, metrics um, in terms of predictive performance. What's going to happen in the future? Well, the uh, the Thunder loves to look at at point differential. So they're fifth in the West in that regard. The other thing is the Thunder's played a very difficult schedule compared to the rest of the West. They've got the second easiest schedule left in the NBA. Um, so, um, you know, there, there's every reason to believe that the Thunder has set sort of a standard of performance. Now, we're not talking about the 2013 Thunder. We're not talking about Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook good. But this is a team that's, Playing 500 basketball virtually for the entirety of the season. And this is a team that's going to make a run at a play-in tournament, it looks like, uh, even if that's not on the Thunder's grand plan in terms of where this season would take them. Yeah, I mean, I think that they said earlier in the preseason they're just going to let the season play out, and that to me meant if the team's good, they're going to be good, but we're not trading for anybody to help these guys. And I still feel that way. They're not going for anybody at the deadline that's actually going to help them push towards this play-in thing. If, they get, if they're going to make it, it's going to be on the backs of the young guys who just outperform probably what was expected of them. But currently, uh, they're right in the mix, like you mentioned. They're shooting up the West standings. They're only half a game back of the Blazers, Wolves, and Jazz, who are all tied for the 8th or 10th spot. They're one game back of the Warriors for the 7th spot. And don't look now, but the Thunder are only 1.5 games out of an actual playoff spot where the Clippers currently sit. But it's been pretty interesting. Um, I just... You know, it's been so long since we talked. I just want to know, uh, you were a big J-Dub fan. What have you seen recently for him? Because it feels like he's getting a lot of attention, a lot of notoriety, notoriety recently from guys like Bill Simmons, Zach Lowe, and other major outlets and um, personalities around the basketball world. Well, Santa Clara is, you know, clearly a favorite of mine. He's just a, he's just sort of a uh, an all-around solid player as a rookie. Um, he has his moments. I think he was 0-9 shooting against Brooklyn on Sunday. So he's got his moments where things don't come together, but he helps in a variety of ways. He can, he can guard a lot of different people. He switched on to Joel Embiid at times in Philly. Um, he can, he can run the point. He can play power forward. He's just sort of a, a do it all type of guy. And he's just getting better and better. And I think um, he's a little bit, you know what we've been saying about Josh Giddy for a while People knew he's going to be good. They just didn't know what he was going to be. Well, that's what we're sort of starting to think about Santa Clara is we know he's going to be something. We just don't know what that is or what it's going to look like. But he's 
he's able to do a lot of different things. And on a team like this, that's a that's a very uh, interesting um, trait to have. Yeah, his versatility has just been really, really nice. It reminds me of almost like a football player, like how the San Francisco 49ers will use Debo Samuel and they're like, we're going to put you in the slot or it is and he's going to succeed. And it feels like J-Dub has been the same way where no matter kind of what role they put him in, he's been solid in it. That doesn't mean he's been killing it in all of them, but he's been solid and showed reason of why he's getting those opportunities. Yeah, and he's a guy that um, they can use. He's he's sort of the third team point guard. Um, I don't know if they really have one or not, but he's sort of that's what he sort of is. Um, the defensive versatility. You know what he's a, what he really is is he's sort of a better athlete. Kendrick Williams, uh, Kenrich Williams is what he is. He's a guy that can just do about everything. Um, he's He's not as uh, hardy, maybe, as experienced as Kenrich Williams. But he's just a guy that's going to be great to have around. And here's the thing about him. His upside is still unknown. If this is what he is, just a better version of this at the age of 25, that's a really good ball player. But he doesn't have to be this. He's not bound by physical limitations or size limitations or... Uh, experience limitations he could he can be almost anything uh in this league so uh, that's that's one of the positive things about the thunder future is the upside that that santa clara williams possesses and so many of the guys on the roster are just super malleable where you can plug and play them in so many different positions and it still kind of fits even though on like on paper you see it's like well here's a six nine guy a six six guy a six seven guy it's like well you don't have anyone who's point guard size or center size so what are you doing but they've managed to find different ways to work uh through it and i don't know even thrive with it but i talked to alex spears on friday and i wanted to get your perspective on this i compared j-dub a little bit to like andre gudala just in his versatility not necessarily the same level defender i mean andre gudala is one of the best wing defenders of this generation but offensively just you can put him in so many different spots and he's high IQ and unselfish and just helps you win overall. I mean, I, I like that comparison. Yeah, maybe he's not in, ever will be in that class defensively. Um, but he is a guy, you know, the the one thing we've seen out of Santa Clara is his three-point shooting really hasn't blossomed as a rookie, but he's still been an effective player. I haven't looked since Brooklyn Heck but he was over 50%. He's as a rookie shooting 50% shooter. Um, and if the, if the three point game ever comes along, which there's reason to think it will, well, then that's a really good offensive player. I I would say that he has the potential to be a better offensive player than Iguodala. Now, defensively, no, but um, that's, that's a good comparison because Iguodala has been that, for a long time, was that for a long time? I don't know that you could say he still is, but Philly, Denver, four year, Golden State, all these many years. Just a, a guy that just is uh, shows up every night and helps you win games in a in a impactful major way. Yeah, J Dub still at fifty percent, fifty point nine percent. So right on the razor's edge there. He's shooting twenty nine percent from three, as you mentioned. The three ball just hasn't looked that great, but. Still, there's time. I mean, you're even seeing with a guy like Josh, who wasn't a good three-point shooter in the NBL and has improved. So 
I'm still optimistic about J-Dub and people forget just how big of an adjustment that line difference is from the college line to the three-point line. Just the two or three feet or however much space there is, just the difference of it and the level of contest you're going to get in the NBA. The other thing to remember is this, while he played on a really good school in a good conference, the West Coast Conference is not every night in the Big Ten or every night in the ACC or every night in the Big 12. So just the level of competition, besides going to the professional level, you know, Santa Clara had a, had its share of games against overmatched foes. So I don't know that. So I don't know that that's going to. Um, and I think I think we'll see his his improvement and his his leaping and bounding continue um, here for another year or two, probably before he's just uh, as he gets used to to uh, premium competition every night, just on the level that he's on. Yeah, that and then playing with the guys who he's going to be playing with where Josh Giddy's taking a leap. Chet's going to be coming back next year. Hopefully he plays well. Shea Gilgis-Alexander looks like he's taking the leap from all-star to superstar, so that'll make things even easier on him. wanted to ask you about that as well. You know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been playing at an elite, elite level and looks like he's on the verge of maybe starting his first ever all-star game. What have you seen from SGA recently? Uh, I love I, I love everything about it. Um the way he's playing is, um, I don't know how to describe it. He's got the level of a much older player. Now, what is it? SGA's 25, I think? 24, or, 25 in that mix. 24, yeah. So um, he's playing at a very high level. But he's also got the a calm, he's got a calmness to him. He's got a maturity about Recording him. Recording in progress. Uh, I, I guess I would say his maturity playing at a level like this, you don't see that with some of these guys. You don't see that with uh, even John Morant. I don't think he's got sort of still of the sort of a crazy nature to his personality and his game. And maybe he doesn't need to change it, but there's something very reassuring about a guy who can do this with, uh, you know, scoring 30 points a game at a young age, but seems like sort of an old soul. To me, that's a very good thing. Um, you know, we, we, we're not used to that with, with Westbrook coming around. Westbrook was not that way. You might argue that Durant was, that Durant had a, a maturity to his personality, but, but perhaps without the leadership quality. That's the other thing. SGA at this young age seems to be uh, a preeminent team leader, and that's uh, that's exactly what you want when you're dealing with with a guy of this level and this kind of roster. Yeah, his patience and then overall just steadiness, I think, just calms the roster. He just makes everything easier on those guys. And like you mentioned with Russ, his volatility for good, for better and for worse uh, was the best thing for him and the worst thing for him. But Shea is pretty even keel on a lot of that stuff. He doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. But yeah, he's just relentless in how he does things. He's not too engaged with the referees, arguing with those guys. He just kind of goes about his business and plays. But he's in some pretty elite. Let Michael, let me ask you. You think that'll stay? Um, you think, you think he'll keep doing that? Because it's hard to find a superstar who is not a a a, a total ref baiter, a total uh, a talker, uh, a guy who sort of accepts calls. You don't find superstars like that. I don't. I wonder if it comes with the territory. 
How cruel would it be if SGA did not become that kind of person? I just don't know if it's possible. I don't know if it's really possible either. I think it my bet would be that it would probably change and he'll be a little bit more vocal with the officials, but it'll take something like a playoff game where you really get burnt on a call because there are some guys like that, like Giannis, who have said, I'm not going to complain. And some of those guys just don't really get calls. You see it with Trey Young and Luca and James Harden where they complain the entire game and they still end up getting calls. So it's almost like another squeaky wheel gets all the oil or, or the grease or whatever it is. And some of those guys just keep complaining and it gets in the referees in the back of their head and makes them think about that stuff more. So obviously you'd think that Shea, a guy like that who doesn't complain, would get rewarded more, but it doesn't always work that way, unfortunately. Well, we're going to enjoy it while we can. We're going to enjoy it while we can. Yes, we will. And then um, last thing on this before we move on, I had a little bit of trivia for you. Shea is on pace to be the fourth NBA player since 1973 to average 30 points per game, five assists, and one block. Who are the other three players, Barry? 30 points a game, five assists. And one block since 1973. One block. Well, then I'm not, you know, I can't pull out my, this This keeps me from pulling out the tiny Archibald type stuff because the block is a different, is a different animal. I don't know. I'm not going to get it. Who, uh, are we, I assume... Well, and you're saying all players, all players. Yep. How about, well, is Jokic, has he got to 30 points a game? No. Okay, well, that guy, okay, I don't know. You're going to have to help me. Then. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Dwayne Wade. Pretty good list for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yeah, I would think so, yeah. Yeah, but it's pretty impressive so. basketball for him, and he looks like he's on his way, like I mentioned, to starting his first ever All-Star game. I'm just The wave of support has been pretty surprising from a lot of national media pundits who were once trashing the Thunder and just th- how things have turned around. How much, how much credence is he going to get for his defense, for the block shots? You know, I, he's, still, he's still in the top 20, I think, in the league in block shots, which is just nuts for guard. Um you think that's going to become a talking point as we go as we go down the road? I think it's one of those things where you're going to have to show it off in the playoffs. There are a lot of good regular season defenders, but when it's the playoffs, when they take you one-on-one and they're trying to take advantage of guys, because, I mean, even going back to um, the bubble season, it seemed like those guys on the Rockets were really taking advantage of just his lack of size and, like, just overall weight when they had that team with small ball with Houston where they had Westbrook, Eric Gordon, James Harden, just a bunch of guys built like linebackers who took advantage of him. But he's really improved this year. But some of the defensive things, it's just, you know this, it's reputation-based. So you can takes a while for you to uh, get a defensive reputation, but once you do it, it stays for a long time. But there are guys who are solid defenders who people don't think is good defenders like a Steph Curry, and then there are guys like Russell Westbrook who people still think of as a good defender who's not guarding anybody. Right, right, yeah. Uh, SGA is now 25th in the league in block shots. He's got 44, and there are no guards in front of him. Everybody in front of him is a power forward. Or center. A couple weeks ago, he still had more total blocks on the season than Rudy Gobert did. Uh, yeah, I wonder if I, he, Rudy's got him now, 49-44. Uh, 49-44, Rudy Gobert's got SGA. It's, it's an incredible stat. Um, <clears throat> the thing I like about his defense is he's not a shutdown defender, which is what we thought he might be, you know. He's in good, he's in good company with Westbrook in that 
and they traded for Gilgis Alexander back in the summer of 19. He was billed as a potential defensive stopper because he's so tall and thin, uh, long-armed and rangy. Um, he hasn't become bad. He's become an offensive force. But he's not, he's not a liability in any way, and he's become very good at a variety of things, including the, the block shot situation. So just a premium player as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, just with his frame alone and his effort, if you do that, you're going to be a solid defender, and he has a much higher ceiling than that. But we look at guys like um, Trey Young or Steph Curry, you're just very, very limited just by your height and your size and your length. And Shea has that to his advantage, where at least I don't see him as a guy who's going to get played off the floor. You mentioned with the Clippers, but I remember people even saying Drew Holiday as a comp. To an extent, he's not Drew Holiday by any means on defense. He's a much better offensive player. But yeah, Shea going forward, it should be interesting to see, you know, as they chase the plane in the playoffs, what type of defender he looks like in some of those big games. Is it, I'm glad you brought up Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is one of my favorite players. I love Drew Holiday. I've always loved Drew Holiday. I think he's a wonderful player. He's really good on offense. He's fabulous on defense. He's a winning player. He's he's a captain type guy. I mean, the guy you always want in the locker room, a guy you always want on your team. And a couple of years ago, I remember thinking, how cool would it be if SGA could become as good and as valuable as Drew Holiday? If if that can happen, if he can reach Drew Holiday's level of NBA excellence, what a great trade for Oklahoma City that was. Well, here two years later, he surpassed that. He's well beyond Drew Holiday status. Um, I mean, he's he's literally on John Morant's level in terms of uh, NBA stardom. He's not as famous because of the dunks, but the basketball people that know have them fairly close together. So what just tremendous leap and tremendous uh, uh, jumping uh, up the up the NBA food chain for SGA, uh, even as it relates to only Drew Holiday. Yeah, Drew Holiday is only a one-time All-Star, and that was back in Philadelphia. Shea definitely has quite a few All-Star appearances and probably NBA All-NBA appearances ahead of him. But yeah, I mean, he's far surpassed him already. I think there are more conversations about Shea being in the top 10 than being in the top 20. I think he's closer to that level of player just as far as how people talk about it. But it should be really interesting as we get into this um, chase for the play in the playoffs to see exactly, you know, in some high pressure situations, what some of these guys are made of. Yeah. And no, you brought up the all NBA. All NBA is basically first, second or third team. 15 guys afforded that status every year, not per conference, but for the entire league. It's the stuff that was has generally been reserved for Westbrook and Durant. And Paul George made it one time as a Thunder. Um, I think Chris Paul made it in the COVID year. He was here. Um, but I think SGA's – I think he's a shoe-in for all NBA. And the question is, one, two, or three, which team is he going to land on? I don't think he's going to be a first-team all NBA this year. I do think he can be second team all NBA, which would be a monumental accomplishment um, at the age of 24. Yeah, to be 
basically a top 10 player in the league and top four at your position group is incredible for a guy like that, especially when there were questions for a lot of years by myself included about whether or not he could be the guy. But it should be super, super interesting. But we do have the path to the playoffs play. And you mentioned the Thunder have the second easiest schedule remaining in the league, first among West teams. But they, um, I don't know, what type of, what certain players or what does the team need to work on as they chase the postseason the most in your eyes? Well, they don't rebound a bit. Um, they're not very good at rebounding. And you know what? They don't have a strong post presence. So I don't know that how they're supposed to rebound. Their best two rebounders are probably their point guards, SGA and Josh Giddy. Um, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're playing at center, Mike Muscala, some. Um, Arkansas Williams, some. Kenrich Williams, some. Jar, uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is out. Poku is out. Um, so they don't, they're not physically capable of much better rebounding that's going to be kept to come through the draft and as this roster changes in the years to come um anything anybody can do whether it's dort digging in to help out whether it's santa clara whoever it might be but that's just something they can't fix um the other thing uh you know their transition defense seems to come and go at times um they're a pretty good defensive team um, but you know, the rebounding is, is really, you know, that's what beat them against Miami, uh, the one loss on that road trip. So, um, that's probably the number one thing. I don't have any great ideas on how to fix it though. No, I think you're right. There's not a great way to fix it because as we talked about, they're not going to make a trade to go get somebody to help them. They're not going to trade for insert big on the market, uh, Jakob Pertle or whoever it is. They're not going to go do that and use future assets just to patch a bullet wound with a Band-Aid just for one season to be a little bit better. There's no real reason to do that in the long uh, scheme of things. But I don't know. I, I agree with that. Their rebounding is definitely an issue. Just more consistent play from some of the guys, definitely shooting-wise. It feels like the shooting kind of comes and goes where it's like a two-game stretch where it's like, man, the Thunder can really shoot it. And then three games of they can't shoot a beach ball into the ocean if they're standing on the beach so it just kind of goes back and forth so a little bit more consistency from some of the guys I know Isaiah Joe has carried a lot of those units three-point shooting wise but you know let's see Trey Mann continue to shoot well from three Dort has been better over uh, recent stretches let's see Shea take more threes just in general but it should be really interesting and then we talked about the Thunder's schedule and how they are the beneficiary of that. They have the second easiest schedule in the NBA the rest of the way. But the teams that sit in front of them are not in exactly in the best spot. So the Clippers, who are at the sixth spot right now, the Thunder trailed in by, by one and a half games, have the second hardest schedule in the NBA remaining for the rest of the season, only behind the 76ers. And the Blazers, or let's see here, the um, Golden State is fourth in the NBA with the fourth hardest schedule and then Minnesota Portland uh, Minnesota and Portland follow behind at fifth and sixth so there's going to be chances for them to catch some of those teams even if they do have more veteran players and some more experience but it should be interesting but overall I think it's going to come down to is how healthy is this team because they are not going to be able to survive very I don't think a week or two of no Shea or no Giddy on this team yeah and, and I would throw Dort in there as well <clears throat> but um, the good thing about them is injuries to other people beyond those three 
are fairly sustainable because it is a deep team. I mean, on any given night, somebody might go from starting to not playing Aaron Wiggins, uh, from not playing to instrumental, playing the whole fourth quarter, Darius Baisley. Um, and, you know, one through really 14 or so, Mark Dagnault uses his entire roster. Everybody's involved. So, yeah, injuries to any of those top three, the, the offense and leadership SGA and Giddy provide, the defense that Dort provides, it can't play with, can't win without those. But everybody else, you can sort of live with that. So um, I think they've got, they've got a little bit of insurance in that regard. And then taking so, a question I asked on Friday to somebody else, I wanted to ask you, what does a successful end of 2023 look like? Like, are you one of the people that's like, well, they probably need to make the playoffs or the play-in? I don't want to say I don't care, but I think a lot of this season just is gravy in terms of whatever they accomplish throughout the rest of the year. I have to admit that I am, on that question, I am not a strong-willed person. After every Thunder victory, I'm fortified thinking, you know what, they could make the play. After every loss, I think, you know what? One step closer to more lottery balls. So I'm a flim-flam artist. I go back and forth. I do think this, though. Um, the difference in the draft between three and eight is fairly profound. The difference in the draft between 10 and 17 is not that big. So uh, the Thunder is not going, without, without unbelievable luck, they're not going to get a premium draft pick. They're not going to. Barry, I think you froze for a second there. Am I? Uh, am yeah, I you're back. Well, you were saying okay. something about a premium draft pick. Yeah. The, the Thunder's not going to get it. They're not going to get a, they're not going to get a premium draft pick unless they just absolute luck in the lottery. They're not going to have better they could fall all the way to sixth in the lottery odds. That could happen. But the chances of the Thunder um, of the Thunder doing something in the playoffs once they get there is not great either. I mean, if they're the sixth seed, I don't think they're beating Memphis or or Denver or New Orleans, whoever it might be. I don't think they're winning a playoff series. And let's not get over our heels on that. So the upside lottery, the upside playoffs is not is not great. I do think making the playoffs would have great benefit, though, for this organization. I think it would help the team. I don't know. Maybe you can tell me if I'm crazy or pessimistic or overdramatic about this. But I do wonder about them making the playoffs early if that's going to have some pressure on the fan base and maybe more national media pundits who want the team to push this button and make a big trade because they feel like they're right there. When in reality, the team's not very close. I mean, there's still a bunch of 24 to 21 year olds who are not even close to their prime. Right. Um, yes. It, well, I mean, uh, the national media, yes, but the, the fans, um, will decide that with their with their um, attendance at Paycom. And either way, it doesn't matter. Sam Presti is not going to be moved. He's a tree planted by the waters. So um, 
I think it would pay dividends for this team, for SGA, for Dort, um, who actually they have played in a playoff series, but for Santa Clara, for Giddy, for Poku, for Wiggins, for Kenrich Williams, all those guys. Making the playoffs would would come with some great value. Um, and the thing to remember about the Thunder uh, future is this. I mean, no matter what happens with the draft lottery this year, no matter who they get, they've already won the lottery with Chet Holmgren coming back. So um, I think they're having this great year compared to expectations without Holmgren. Who is exactly what they need? You know, he's a he's a, a rim protector, a shooter, a a, a rebounder. In theory, I mean, I don't know how he'll rebound, but you got to believe a seven foot one guy can be able to rebound the basketball. So, um, I in the same way, I guess here's how I would say it: in the same way that Sam Presti says, no shortcuts, no shortcuts, no shortcuts. I appreciate that. I accept that. I applaud that. You can't speed up the process. I also don't think you ought to slow down the process. I don't think you ought to pump the brakes on the process. If the process suddenly blossoms, it blossoms. You know, the Thunder, 13 years ago, Thunder's coming off a 23-win season. And one-third of the way through the next year, they were 13 and 14. And everybody thought, this is good. This is really good. This is what we need. And the rest of the way, that team went. 37 and 18 and they finished 50 and 32 and they took the Lakers to six games, the Lakers that were the defending champs and soon to be the, uh, the repeat champs. They took them to a six game series that was really competitive. Now we're not replicating the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Thunder U crowd, but in the same way that you can't, you can't don't pump, don't, don't take shortcuts. Don't go out of your way to take long cuts either. If it happens, it happens. Let this team breathe, and if it soars, it soars. Yeah, that's the tough part of this job in a lot of ways is being able to manufacture a window and then being able to capitalize and recognize the window of opportunity you have to be an elite team. And we've seen it with teams in the past. I mean, the Celtics are a good example where they end up making the finals a few years later, but years and years and years, Barry, it was Trey Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown or those Nets picks and go get Kawhi Leonard or Paul George like keep pushing the button, keep pushing it. And they remained uh, patient and it ended up paying off for him, but it wasn't always easy. But you mentioned it with Chet. He's the lottery pick for this team. He's the, um, you know, you won the lottery with that. And it's just so unbelievable to me. I wish I could give credit to whoever put this out on Twitter. I thought you'd enjoy this. But the Thunder have maybe the third best rookie in this class in J-Dub, Jalen Williams. And he was the third uh, first round pick they took in that draft. I love that kind of stuff. I love that kind of stuff. You're exactly right. And last year, Giddy was a sixth pick. I don't know where he ranks in the sophomore class, but it's somewhere north of sixth. So the Thunder's punching above its weight on the drafting. And it's the, the development of these guys is what's so fun uh, to see because they just come at you in spades. I mean, for crying out loud, Razorback Williams is playing pretty good. Second round draft pick, he's in there. What do you, I think he had seven points in the first quarter in Brooklyn, I think, if I remember right. And, um, you know, he's getting run over by Embiid and people like that. But, um, uh, you know, I don't know if he's going to last. I don't know if he's going to be here next year. 
but they're trotting guys out there that seemingly can play. And they've got guys on the bench like Zhang, Usman Zhang is, you know, he's got the got the injury, hadn't played in a month or month and a half, whatever it is. But he's 19 years old and an excellent prospect. So what happened with the first incarnation of Thunder Greatness is they got their team and then they had to ride that team and just plug in and guys wherever they could to help. If this team gets great, and I don't know if it will or not, but wherever this team gets, all those draft picks means here comes fortifications every year, either through the draft or through trades that those picks bring. So, you know, this is Sam Presti has on his hands a general manager's nirvana because he's got so many options and he, I guess he's capable of screwing it up. I don't know. But because of the development we've seen out of SGA primarily, but also Gideon, Dort, and whoever, he's got a core and a foundation that's going to be successful on some level, no matter what. And he can mix and match in all these other ways. So it's going to be, it's going to be fun for him. It's going to be fun for them. It's going to be fun for us. Yeah, Chet Unicorn, number two overall pick. J-Dub goes late in the lottery and looks like he's a top three rookie in this draft. And he was the guy who they took after Usman Jang, who they traded three first round picks for. So that should tell you how high Sam Presti is on him. So a lot of things going forward that should be, uh, you should have reason to be optimistic about. And then I wanted to touch on the Thunder U thing that you talked about because, you know, not to be mean, but Thunder fans are spoiled in a lot of ways of just how fast the rise of that team was. They have the one really bad year, the first year they're here. And then as you talked about, they're the eight seed. They take the champions to six games in the Los Angeles Lakers and then lose before the Lakers end up winning it all. The next year, Barry, they go from the eight seed to the number four seed playing home court and making it to the conference finals, I'm pretty sure, against the Mavericks. So this is not the linear process of how things go where the Thunder are going to make the playoffs. And it's like, oh, well, now they're a contender like those old teams were. It's just not how it works. I mean, just for reference, the Nuggets, who became a team in 1967, the Clippers became a team in 1970, Charlotte in 1988, the Wolves in 1989, the Grizzlies in 1995, and the Pelicans in 2002, have never even made the NBA Finals. The Thunder did in their one stretch. They made four conference finals in six years. Uh, the Pelicans and Hornets have never even made a conference finals, and the Clippers didn't do it until two years ago. Yeah, I mean, if if the charges, Oklahoma City Oklahoma, and Oklahoma are spoiled in the NBA, guilty as charged. Uh, throw ourselves on the mercy of the court. We are spoiled, no doubt about it. The thing I would say is um, that when you look at a, what what we had 13 years ago, um, and then what we what we saw, they did that sort of muscling themselves into a sort of a close. Spurs were always good. The Lakers were always good. And there wasn't a whole lot of fluidity in the standings. You look at the West right now, and there's incredible fluidity. I mean, and, and this goes to the bigger picture, which is, the NBA is so ever-changing anymore. Things change much faster than they used, used to. We don't know what the Western Conference hierarchy is going to look like in two years, much less five years. So when that happens, 
the chances for big time success increase. Now, the chances that you fall and bottom out also increase. But that's part part of the fun is that you don't have to wait your turn so much anymore. Um, you, you often do. Uh, Memphis has sort of been doing that, sort of waiting its turn. But you don't have to. I mean, you can zoom up and and be good. You know, it, it looked like the Clippers were going to be great forever. Or not forever, but great for a long stretch. And they've been sort of, since the trade, with the PG trade, they had one good year and made the f- conference finals, but they've really not, you know, they've, they've been up and down. The Warriors go from champs to to number two pick, whenever how many games, 20 or 20, whatever it was, back to champs. Now they're, they're scuffling again. So everybody's much more fluid. And that means opportunity for up-and-comers, which is what describes the Thunder. Yeah, it's changing the guard right now just as far as this new generation of players and new teams because the Warriors are looking like they might be phasing out even after winning a championship. And it looks like it's this new era of teams like the Nuggets, um, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, maybe the Mavericks with Luka Doncic. So that should be really interesting going forward. And then the last thing that I have here that we can talk about or that I want to talk about with you is Josh Giddy's sophomore surge. He's played maybe the best stretch of his career since December 1st, and he's just made improvements all over the board. He's improved in points per game, rebounds per game, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and free throw percentage this year, Barry. Well, what he's done recently is just phenomenal. Love love Josh Giddy. Um, this is a guy that we, uh, we thought was uh, going to be a difficult shooter, guy that's not going to you know, perhaps do everything well except shoot. But even on the three-point game, he's up to 34%, uh, which is mediocre but acceptable for a guy that does all the things he's doing. His uh, his drives to the basket are very good, very strong, consistent score in the paint. His, his floor game is still uh, exquisite. So this is a guy that's, uh, you know, it's still true of him, what we've always said, which is we don't know what he's going to be, but he's going to be something special. I mean, a guy averaging 16 points a game, 48% shooting, eight rebounds a game, 5.7 assists per game at the age of 20. Josh Giddy is not yet 21. And for a guy to be able to do that, uh, by the way, he's a long way from 21. He... Uh, He'll be he'll turn 21 uh, just a little bit before next season starts. So he's going to finish this entire season at age 20. He's going to be a wonderful player. We just don't know exactly what, you know, basketball reference calls Josh Giddy's position, shooting guard and small forward, which he, oh, he is those things. He's also a completely traditional point guard in that, in that he can run an offense. He can direct the ball. He can set you up, fast break or not. So he's a, he's a wonderful player. And what we've seen in recent days, um, you know, I haven't I haven't gone game by game, but he's well. Here it is, right here. His last, I don't know when, when when he had a bad game against the Spurs. Oh, on right after Christmas. Since then, Giddy in his last ten games, he's averaging uh, twenty. Uh, points a game. He's uh, shooting 52%. That's 7.8 rebounds, 6.1 assists, 
2.3 turnovers. I mean, that's an impactful player. Uh, and his three-point game is is 34%. So um, his defense is still not good, but it's not terrible. And they're finding ways to use him. He can guard a lot of different players. He's not having to guard little, you know, pesky uh, point guards. So um, the future is sky high for Josh Kitty. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, he's just been using a lot of his size and length more and just overall frame. You mentioned defensively, he's not guarding a lot of fast, quick guards, but Nick Claxton tried to back him down the other day, and he just walled him up. And then on the other end, he goes at Nick Claxton, scores over him, and does a little too small thing. But that's been the biggest thing for me watching Josh is his improvement as a scorer because all the um, scouts were out on him of teams were tightening up passing lanes and not leaving to help. And they're going, you're going to score one-on-one, but we're not going to just leave these open, open passing lanes for you, which reminds me of a story that Isaiah Thomas from the Pistons talked about. And I'm paraphrasing here. He said, to be a good passer, you have to be a good threat to score. And there are a lot of guys in the NBA's past, like a Rajon Rondo, Ben Simmons, who are no threat to score at all. And it makes it harder for guys to get open and for them to pass it to them because no one's leaving their man. They have no threat about it. And Josh is looking to shoot and he's finding a shot and he's being more aggressive. And now it's putting defenses in a very um, stressful situation where they're having to kind of pick their poison a lot of ways because he's definitely killing on a lot of those one-on-one matchups now. Yeah, he's uh, what I've seen is his confidence has soared in terms of going to the basket in terms of um, um, the, the open three. You know, he he's probably – I don't know if he leads the league in open threes. People are not gardening or letting him shoot the three. Maybe they're going to keep letting him because his his mechanics are so bad. I was watching him shoot out of practice today. His form is still not good. I don't know if the Thunder is going to ever break it down or let him go the way it is. It's not good, but it's been effective so far, 34%. Um, so uh, he's a guy that – he's just so – unorthodox people don't see a guy like that very often teams don't really know what to do with him now the downside is in a playoff series maybe teams can figure out what to do with him um we will that's one thing we'll have to find out and that's another by the way that's another good reason to make the playoffs is is you get a great scouting report on your own team because another team spends two weeks doing nothing but drilling down on how to stop you and and how to uh, score on you and it's a great learning lesson for a team. But, um, but Giddy is, is really, uh, he, he's so unorthodox that people just don't know what to do with him. And whether it's in the half court, whether it's in the open court, he's, he's, really, he's really talented. The thing I like best about him is he seems to have got a pretty good hold on his turnovers. His turnovers have, have become fewer um, still makes too many but that's okay his crazy passes are minimized now he's not making as many spectacular my impression not as many spectacular passes this season as last season but also far fewer turnovers and so I like that I think teams are more ready for those passes has been a biggest thing. But yeah, I mean, earlier in the season, he was still trying that. And that's where a lot of those turnovers came from. His shot is improving. The form still is weird, as you mentioned. He talked a lot about that uh, he and Chip, the main thing they worked on was 
his guide hand and his left hand, his thumb was hitting the ball and thumb flicking. So for a lot of the preseason, it was just one-handed form shots trying to get that down. And the most impressive thing about that is they hired Chip, what, like a couple weeks before um, like training camp? Like, Just imagine how much better he's going to get over the summer with a full summer of working with Chip on his shot and getting to really nail those fundamentals like you talked about. Yeah, and you know, I don't know how much England has really helped. Um if if England was a was a magic man with people shooting, somebody would pay him twenty five million dollars a year to coach him. Um and I don't think the Thunder's paying him twenty five million dollars a year. But clearly he's he's got the trust of Giddy and he's helping his confidence. Don't know about the form, but helping his production. So it's, yeah, it's every arrow, every arrow about Josh Giddy points up. Yep, should be exciting. They play the Pacers tomorrow. No Tyrese Halliburton, but another important game is they chase the play in the playoffs like we're talking about. I really liked what you mentioned about it's important to get to the playoffs just to see what you have in some of these guys. Some of these guys are, you know, they're great regular season players, but the lights get a little bit too bright once you get to the playoffs. There are plenty of Thunder examples of that where you get to the playoffs and it's like, oh, you just can't play campaign or whoever it is. But it should be interesting. Yeah, even Tabo Cephalosha in his last game as a Thunder got benched. Um, Barely played or didn't play at all. This is a guy that, you know, started playoffs or incredible laboratory be great if the thunder could reach it don't know if they can we'll see yeah it's just a completely different type of basketball with the physicality and all that but that's a topic for another day barry i've kept you here long enough with all the important things you need to do thanks again for coming on talking thunder basketball with me glad to do it thanks michael and thank you all for listening to the thunder buddies podcast we are on apple and spotify make sure to leave a five-star review Uh, Let me know about it, what you loved, what you hated, anything like that. Make sure to follow our socials at ThunderBudPod on Twitter, and we will be back on Friday.